Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X and alongside me today, we got Big E, AKA Ethan Tate, AKA somebody who is hoping that the Grizzlies hold on to beat the Trailblazers today. Ethan, how you doing today, man? I'm good, I'm definitely hoping they hold on you know not lying. As of right now, it's 55-44, 52 seconds left going in the second quarter. We got a pretty cool show for you guys today. We are just a few days away from the draft, so we're going to look at some of the latest draft news and rumors, say what we believe, don't believe. We're going to look at the NBA, which has a lot of other stuff going on, such as the playoff pictures beginning to take shape. Are we really buying into the Knicks? Would the 2011-2012 Bulls really have won a championship if D-Rose would have stayed healthy? And then we're going to close it out deciding who is the real MVP. But before we close out, please, I mean, before we get started, please should check out that export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, like I said, we're going to start off the NFL discussion with the NFL draft, which is just a few days away. And one of the toughest quarterbacks to mock is Justin Fields. Now, at the end of the season, he was seen as definitely one of the top quarterback prospects of the class, but it seems as the process goes on, his stock seems to fall for one reason or another. And this week, another reason why his stock may be falling is that he recently revealed to teams that he is managing his epilepsy disorder. On the one hand, he says it is managing and he's hoping like most of his family members that he grows out of it because it has not necessarily affected him on the football field, but it is still something to keep track of. So Ethan, do you think that his uh, epilepsy di disorder is gonna be something that causes Justin Fields to fall in the draft? And if so, how far? Yeah, um, I think that 
Honestly, I think the only reason why he would fall too much is if teams were just looking for an excuse not to pick him. Like, for example, like fringe quarterback teams, teams that don't necessarily need a quarterback but could still be looking in that, that direction. Case in point, the Lions, they're a team that could potentially uh, be looking at a quarterback. Uh, the Falcons are another team that could potentially look at a quarterback. But truthfully, I don't see him making it out of the top ten. I still think he's a top ten player just for the same reason you said. I mean, I still feel like he's – this, I feel like he's the second-best quarterback of this class. And I feel like even though Mac Jones is a bit more consistent, but he doesn't have the explosiveness as a Justin Fields. He doesn't have the tenacity as a Justin Fields. And especially if he's able to keep his epilepsy in order, I don't really see it being a cause for concern. But all right, so speaking of quarterback needy teams, let's talk about the New England Patriots. And an image has been sur- been uh, floating around the Internet a bit. Um, and it came from the Packers organization. On the sheet, it um, it essentially is a trade where the Patriots would receive quarterback Jordan Love, a.k.a. the uh, Packers' first-round pick from last year, uh, the 29th overall pick, and a fourth-rounder. And then the Packers would receive the 15th overall pick. Now, do you think that that would be a good move for the Patriots? Or do you think that they should look young, at a younger player or a rookie, as far as a rookie for a quarterback? Um, I think it could potentially be a good move because Jordan Love has a year of experience learning and going, basically learning how to read the NFL defense. Like, he, he's already been kind of put in a position that you want the guys that are on, that are coming in and really too get to. Like, they're going to learn how to read the defense. They're going to learn how to run all game. Yes, he hasn't done it particularly on the field, per se, yet. But he's had time in locker rooms where he's read, um, where he's gone through playbooks, he's read coverages and things of that nature. I think it could be a good move, but I also think that, you know, maybe if you really want to put stock into it, you can look into one of these young guys and potentially develop them the way that you really want them to be developed. Like, who knows where, you know, like say a McDonald's, say he drops. I think McDonald's could be a good fit for the um, Patriots because he he's a like he's a free pocket passer and I think that's something that the Patriots work best with is guys that don't solely rely on like a lot of athleticism. Mm-hmm. And but I also know that, you know, in today's NFL, if you have a dual three quarterback, that makes you a way more Dangerous thing than if you had a pure pocket pass. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I'm in agreement with you. Even though I think that Jordan Love has some nice tools, he still had a lot of questions coming out last year. And even though technically he's not a rookie, he's a rookie. He didn't take an NFL snap last year. Um, I mean, but when you're playing behind the league's MVP, that tends to happen. And so, it goes since he could would kind of be just getting a mode of clay that you can kind of shape into anything you want because we really don't know what Jordan Love is in the NFL. But I think that at 15, one, I don't think any of the top quarterbacks are going to be there, so the Patriots would have to trade up in order to get one, and they would be mortgaging their future. Whereas if they were to go the Jordan Love route, yeah, they would lose the uh, 15th overall pick, but they would still get the 29th overall pick. It's a low-risk deal. You still are able to get a first-round pick. And who's to say you don't still get a quarterback in the mid-rounds? 
And there is still some solid quarterback depth looking at cats like um, Kellen Mond of place and maybe like Kyle Trask out of Florida, Jamie Newman, Davis Mills, guys like that that can be kind of bounced around in those like between the second and fourth round that could come in and potentially be the starters for your future. So I think that if I'm the Patriots, it, as tempting as it sounds with Jordan Love, I would probably look more so at the draft just to see what I'd be able to get. Because let's be honest, Bill Belichick has never been afraid to trade away a pick, trade up or trade down. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him do that. But continuing on with the Patriots, a player that has been huge talk about potentially being traded since last year is cornerback Stephon Gilmore. Yes, the same person who won Defensive Player of the Year just two years ago. Uh, the Patriots have been actively trying to trade him. And one team that has come up as a potential trade partner they are the Cleveland Browns. So if you are the Cleveland Browns, would you give up that 26th overall pick to get a player like Stephon Gilmore? For me, it's an easy yes. Yes, sir, because the thing is, Cleveland, their they're offense shows a sign of being a really good offense. And I think they found, like we spoke to on other episodes, where I think they finally found their identity at the offense, and it showed that they're comfortable in the identity. They're a run-first team, they're heavy in play action, and they let Baker make plays with a clean pocket because the run game has been dominant. But I think what Kendrick Cleveland all last season because I think they could have, as much as I hated it because they beat my Titans, I think they could have made a deeper run in the playoffs is if they had a defense that could help out their offense. Like their offense was kind of carrying the team last season. So if they're able to get Stephon Gilmore, who, like you said two years ago, defensive player of the year at corner, which is amazing because this shows a level of dominance that really hasn't probably been seen in a while. Like I would go, I would go for it because it's like you would add him to um to a backfield with Denzel Ward. Um, what's your boy from LSU? Um, uh, Grant Delvin. Gr- gr- greedy Grant, yeah. And like you could potentially have like if you build up those young guys and you add Stephon Gilmore, you could potentially build up a a dynamic secondary that can make plays and win potentially win ball games. So I don't see why they won't pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, Denzel Ward is a very good corner, but he has injury concerns. Throughout his first couple few years, we haven't seen him take the field for a full 16 games. And after he's off the field, let's be honest, the death is took a big blow. Last year, you could put attribute that to Greedy Williams being hurt and not being able to play, but still, I mean, you have to have death at corner. If you don't have death at corner, it is going to come back to bite you. And I think if you get Stephon Gilmore, you get a proven commodity. He steps in as your number one corner, and then you put Denzel at the two, and you have one of the best cornerback tandems in the league. And then not to mention you have Greedy, assuming he's fully healthy, you can still potentially draft somebody in a later round. I think that if you're the Browns, like you said, your defense was your Achilles heel throughout much of the season. I mean, let's be honest, the Chiefs, especially in the Chiefs game when Patrick Mahomes went down, that would have been the perfect opportunity for the Browns offense to strike and win that game. However, their defense just could not make any stops. Their defense could not make the plays necessary to get them to win that game. And so I think that by improving their defense, it helps them go a long way because they've already made some really solid moves in terms of free agency. I mean, I love the John Johnson uh, selection. Jadavian Clowney, if he is healthy, I think can be a really nice piece. And then you still have the draft, well, the rest of the draft, even if you do trade that 26 overall pick. So if I'm the Browns, I would do it with the quickness. 
But uh, let's talk Cardinals, who even though they did sign A.J. Green in free agency, they are still a team uh, rumored to be looking at a wide receiver, so much so that there's rumblings around the league that they are going to try to trade up to get a wide receiver. Ethan, do you think that the Cardinals really will trade up to get a wide out, or do you think it's just blowing smoke? Uh, I think they might look into it seriously because, like, they have they have DeAndre Hopkins. They have wait, Harris Fitzgerald retired. I'm so sorry, but um, they have Christian Kirk. Like, they have some pieces that you can build around. But this is the thing, like they don't have it because I don't know if Christian Kirk can be a true number two wide receiver. Right. Because you know that DeAndre Hopkins is a pure number one. But if you're able to draft, like, let's say, hmm, let's say you can come up into the draft and you can draft on um, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. And he can become, he can step in and be a number two wide receiver. Why not? Because the thing is, is like, I understand that their defense isn't championship level, but their offense has shown major strides, and why not continue to add to it and continue to add to the identity and help your quarterback out? I think that it depends who they like. I think that if you get a, if you're looking at Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, not to you know spoil my mock draft, but I can see at least one of them kind of slipping into the 16 range. I can see them being available at that point just because so many other teams have different needs. And if they want to get a receiver, it would be a bit of a luxury. So I don't necessarily think they would have to trade up to get one of those cats. Um, but in terms of the Cardinals, I, it would make a lot of sense to get another wide receiver. A.J. Green is another guy, like I was just saying, with Jadavia Clowney. If he's healthy, you're getting a quality guy. You're getting a veteran guy who, in his, at his prime, in his best years, he was, the, at worst, maybe a top seven wide receiver. He's that good. However, injuries have just ran through him so much that it's hard to really gauge how good he can be. Christian Kirk, he's a good receiver, but he works better in the slot. So it's always good to have, kind of have that insurance policy or just somebody else who you know as a pass catcher can be reliable. Not asking them to be Larry Fitzgerald because there's only one Larry legend, but still just being able to have somebody who you can trust to make those plays. I think that would be a good idea. Would I trade up for one? No, because I feel like there's enough depth to where they can find one in the second round potentially and be able to get a good guy. I just don't, looking at their roster, it's hard for me to fathom them prioritizing anything other than corner right now because as of right now, your top corners are Byron Murphy, who is solid, but he's better in the slot, Drake Kirkpatrick, and Malcolm Butler. I don't think anybody would be that comfortable with that cornerback group. Yeah, because Drake Kirkpatrick is out of his prime. And even in his prime, he wasn't that good. I think he yeah. and he just benefited from the bang, the rest of the Bengals' defense being good because, you know, that was with Geno, Carlos Dunlap, Vontez Burfitt, even though he was a dirty player, he was good. And then he just came in and did the cleanup. But keeping it in the AFC North, we got a big trade just a couple days ago. My Baltimore Ravens traded offensive tackle Orlando Brown, a 2021 second round pick, and a 2022 sixth round pick to the Kansas City Chiefs in exchange for the 2021 first round pick of the Chiefs, aka the 31st overall pick, a third round pick this year, a fourth round pick this year, and a 2022 fifth round pick. So, first things first, what are your thoughts on this trade? Um, In my personal opinion, I think it's a great trade for the Kansas City Chiefs 
because we saw in the Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. And I think that they are making the they're making the investment. I know a lot of people have been saying like they do they should they go receiver and maybe they go receiver in the draft because they don't have um because they don't have Sammy Watkins anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think what they have to do is what they're doing. They're in their fortifying the offensive line so they can run the honestly they could probably run the table and go back to the Super Bowl because if you can protect Patrick Mahomes and you have the weapons that you have in Tyreek Hill and um, Travis Kelsey and you add one of these you might add a young dynamic receiver in the draft like maybe in my opinion if depending they might go out to like a run day or um, you know then they could do some damage because you'll have you'll protect the near billion dollar man yeah you were not lying about that. So yeah, in terms of the Chiefs, I love the move. I mean, the only thing I the only thing I question is, well, what about that contract? Because he wasn't a first round pick, so you're not going to be able to get that fifth year option. So you're going to have to give him a deal in a couple of years. So that's going to be a big question. Not to mention the other contracts you have on the books. He's going to be pretty expensive, especially if he plays to the level that he played last year at left tackle. He's going to want money. Um, so I think that that's definitely something to look out for. But other than that, like like you said, I mean, you want to protect your the league's the pretty much the franchise player of the league. He's the face of the league right now. You have to make sure that he's upright. You got to make sure he's healthy. And if you want to go back to Super Bowls, that's one way to do it. And let's be honest, I don't think that the Chiefs' feelings are going to be too hurt because they don't have that first round pick. I think they'll survive. And so in losing that, I don't think that it's going to be too tough. I think they'll be fine. And Orlando Brown really just helps to fortify that line or at least the left side. In terms of Baltimore, I knew this trade was coming, and I'm happy we traded him. If not for any reason, but at least we know what our draft pick is. I'd rather trade him before the draft as opposed to during the draft, and then it's we have less time to prepare. But on the other hand, I just don't understand trading him to the best team in the conference and arguably the best team in the league. Why would the team? The team that y'all probably will have to run into if y'all were to make a run at the Super Bowl. Literally, our biggest competition in the conference. And I just I just can't sit here and believe that no team picking before us, no none of the twenty-six other picks were not available to get this cat before the Chiefs. And then I know there were teams like Washington who wanted to make a play at him, but they him needing a contract soon and then also giving up the nineteenth overall pick kind of uh turned them away, which I can understand. But still, like, there are just so many teams that need an offensive lineman, and we couldn't have gotten that from anybody. We couldn't give them to anybody but the Chiefs. So I don't love that, but I do like the extra pick. So another, so as what usually happens when teams have multiple first-round picks, questions come about trading up. So since Baltimore now holds the 27th and 31st overall pick, do you think that Baltimore will be trading up to get a wide receiver? Being completely honest, if I were them, I would. Like, I know that they just traded a key piece in, on the offensive line in Orlando Brown. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing is, is Lamar Jackson needs weapons on the outside. And I think that, like, Hollywood Brown, he's a great receiver. But he, in my opinion, he isn't a number one wide receiver. He's a, he would be somebody that would make a good second option, maybe third. And um, if I were them, I would trade them to look for a number one guy because maybe you could potentially find a offensive lineman in the later rounds to replace Orlando Brown. But in this year's draft, 
It's a lot of top guys that's ever seen. Yeah. I, so I I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I I was just gonna say I would make a move. Yeah, I it makes a lot it just depends who we would get. Like if Jamar Chase, if I didn't think Jamar Chase was going top five, I'd be like, bang the table, get this dude, go. But for a cat like Jalen Waddle or um, Devontae Smith, I would I mortgage a lot to get them? No. And I think that by 27, there's still solid options, whether that be a Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, Terrace Marshall out of LSU. Like, cats like that, I would really like to get. And then, I like you said, and that we need to uh, fill that right tackle spot. Now, I know we brought in Alejandro Villanueva, and uh, Dennis Kelly, who was just with the Titans last year, which I wouldn't be surprised if we just get a veteran that year and then go from there. But in terms of trading up, I just, like I said, besides Jamar Chase, I don't think there's a receiver that I would just be so gung-ho to do that for. But let's go ahead and talk the Cincinnati Bengals because earlier this week they released some, uh, some new jerseys, some new heat, one of the many teams – such as the Chargers, the Rams, Dolphins, I believe. One of the few teams to come out with some new threads. So, Ethan, compared to the other new jerseys we have seen in recent years, how do you think the Bengals jerseys stack up? Because, honestly, they're my favorite of the new jerseys we've seen. Yeah, I definitely think that they're definitely my favorite. I especially like the, um, the all-white ones. Mm-hmm. Them joints clean. And uh, I like the orange ones. I like the whole aspect of like the tiger element. Mm-hmm. Like I think, like I think if they have one of the mascots that you can really do like some interesting stuff with it on the uniform, mm-hmm. on like a lot of teams in the NFL. So I like what they've done, and I think that I'm gonna agree with you. I think they're definitely like if they aren't number one, they're definitely like second or third as far as new uniforms has been released. Yeah, no, they look really good. Like black and orange is already a dope jersey combination but how they did it it looks good their old jerseys they weren't necessarily terrible but i think they look a lot better now than they did but all right so what goes on jerseys well of course numbers and the nfl has finally decided to loosen the reins on jersey numbers um after the chief's proposal so court players will now um, well skill position players will be able to have a wider range of numbers that they can wear everybody's happy about it especially the ones who potentially want to go back to college numbers as far as i know the only player i know who said they were going to do it for sure is safety cj uh gardner johnson for the saints he's going back to his old college number but with everything in life, there are some strings attached. So first things first, if a player does decide to change their number, uh, they will have to buy their existing jersey inventory if they want to get a change. Uh, for players like Dalvin Cook, it can get pretty pricey. If he wanted to go from 33 to 4 like he wore at Florida State, it would cost $1.5 million. So it is not going to be cheap. So on the one hand, do you would you say it is worth buying your inventory to wear your old jersey? I don't because I mean at the end of it, it's one year. Like, and the thing is, is what you really honestly can do is 
you can set up an arrangement with the guys on your team, like, hey, I'm getting this number, don't try it. And like when the rookies get when the rookies get drafted, set up a little situation where they know, like, hey, I'm getting this number, don't try to get it. Cause I mean, paying a million a million and a half dollars just to change that number. Like I know it's been situations where guys have paid people for a number mm-hmm. and I know that they have been pricey, but it's like it's different if you change if you change the team and you pay a guy to get a number. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you paying if you buying like the whole jersey inventory, you might as well just wait to get yeah, because, I mean, what are you going to do with all those jerseys? You can't really do especially if everybody knows you're changing your jersey. All those jerseys are going to do is just sit there unless you try to sell them, but you're not going to get much from them because they're not, it's not your number no more. No. So, yeah, no, in terms of that, like, that's, I, I think I texted you, I was like, if I'm, like, a really popular player, I wouldn't do it just because why am I giving up a chunk of my contract, especially a young player, like, on a rookie deal? Why am I giving a chunk of my contract for that? If I'm established and I don't care, that's one thing. But for the young cats, it's not worth it. Because even Justin right. Jefferson will say he was going to say I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead, man. I was just about to say Justin Jefferson. Yeah, he said he's sticking with 18. He said he's going to leave two where it's at, which is understandable. And it's just, I don't know. Like, it's cool. It's a cool proposition, but, of course, the, string, the strings attached is just, just make it frustrating. But you want to know who doesn't like it? Old man Brady, who, who took to Instagram and said, good luck trying to block the right people now, going to make for a lot of bad football. He also said this of the, um, he also said this of the relaxed jersey rules. Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not wear the same number? It's dumb. And he added the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Personally, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But do you think that it will make for bad football? No. Why, how is it going to make for bad football when guys came, came into the game from college where they wore the exact same number that they're going to be trying to work out? Like, it's, it, they're all going to have different color jerseys. How, like, how is it going to affect who you block if the guy that you're trying to block, he's wearing 79 instead of 90? Like, it makes no difference of how is it going to make a difference if you cover somebody that's wearing number six instead of number 10 in the case of DeAndre Hopkins. Right. Like, you still going to be able to play football. I think the thing of, and it's also, like, this is one of those things that can legit make the NFL fun because, you know, players are, like, if you think about it, like, take, for instance, all of the major great running backs in college football they had single-digit numbers. Barry Henry had number two. Dalvin Cook had number four. Christian McCaffrey, no, there's a number of guys that had number five. And it's a way that you can, like, keep people interested in those players because they still had the same number that they had in college potentially. Yeah. So, I don't, and I think, for one, Brady's, like, in my personal opinion, that's super critical to say because, like, one of the biggest things for Brady is he's known as number 12. Like, he's, his um his brand name is TB12. So if you were to go and take numbers off the jersey, you would be taken away from your brand um that you built over the years. Right. Yeah, I don't hold too much stock in it. I mean, if you if you're a football player and you've been watching the film, you're gonna know who you're supposed to be blocking. 
You're going to know what your blocking assignments are. That's not magically just going to change because of a different number. You should. The name is still on the jersey. They're still going to be playing the same position. So, personally, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But, all right, so let's talk the Philadelphia Eagles, who have really just been a team that we don't really know what they are going to be in the future. And as of right now, head coach Nick uh, Sarani does not know either. Um, he declined earlier this week to name Jalen Hurts as the starter and instead said there is going to be an open competition for the starting quarterback job. So let's fast forward to week one of the NFL season. The Philadelphia Eagles take the field. First offensive snaps of the game. Who will be their starting quarterback? Joe Flacco, Jalen Hurts, or a draft pick? Eagles. In my opinion, if they don't draft anybody, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. Because being honest, Joe Flacco is older. He was never mobile. And he's past his prime. Mm-hmm. In today's in today's um today's NFL, you need guys that are mobile. Like you need guys that can maneuver around the pocket. Especially with these athletic creeps that are defensive ends and defensive linemen. So it's like would you really want a statue being back there unless you have a great offensive line? Which they don't. And the thing, yeah, and the thing is they don't have one. So unless they draft someone, my personal opinion, it would definitely be Jalen Harrison the starter. I think, especially depending on when they draft somebody, like if they draft somebody after the third or fourth round, I think it's still going to be Jalen. If they give a high draft pick for a quarterback, then that may turn the tide. But, yeah, I think it's going to be Jalen. You made a really good point about Joe Flacco not being mobile. And their offensive line last year was terrible. Yes, they were riddled with injuries, but still, I mean, it was just tough to watch any quarterback behind the Eagles line, even if they were mobile. I think that with Jalen Hurts, you have a quarterback who has ability. Sure, he you have his questions about him. You're unsure of his real potential, but he still has that potential. We know what Joe Flacco is. Joe Flacco has been Joe Flacco since he got into the league in 2008. That's not magically just going to change. And sure, he had some solid showings last year in relief of Sam Darnold with the Jets, but, I mean, still, he's Joe Flacco. Nobody's getting excited for Joe Flacco. And if I was the Eagles, as of right now, I would go in with Jalen Hurts, but I do understand the apprehension of him being the starter. But speaking of another team with a quarterback controversy, we got the New Orleans Saints who are looking at an interesting battle between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston as their 2021 starting quarterback. Both quarterbacks have been vocal about wanting the job and how much work they put in. On the one hand, uh, Jameis Winston was recently at a youth football camp uh, where he gave a pat and passion speech about his role where he said, I went from being the number one draft pick to everybody laughing at me. But guess what? I'm about that business. I'm out working everyone at my position. Shortly thereafter, Taysom Hill uh, said this to ESPN's Mike Triplett. For the last four years, my workout routine has been different. It's been structured to be a Swiss Army knife and do all these other things. My focus is being a full-time quarterback. So, same question. New Orleans Saints, first game of the year. Who is their starting quarterback? It has to be Jameis because Jameis is a – he's already been a starter for numerous years. Yes, he is the infamous guy over a lot of jokes. Some given by me, but, like, he's also known as the 30 for 30, 32 down, 30 interceptions guy. Mm-hmm. But – Jameis is, like you said, he's putting in the work. He's also had late to die surgery. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And who knows what a different, what a change in his eyesight could be for him. So I definitely got to say, James, I think that, and it's also being honest, like they had, they had Taysom Hill as the starter at some points last season, and it didn't look good. Like they, they were able to win some games, but it wasn't good. Because I think, you know, Taysom Hill, he isn't able to, like, he isn't able to open the offense up. Like, you kind of have to have a specific offense catered towards Taysom Hill, whereas James, you can run a traditional offense, and he also can add the element of being able to throw the ball downfield, something that they didn't have even with Drew Brees being healthy last season. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as far as James being the starter. I think that he's been – I think we saw some nice drives from James, even in the little time that he did play. I want to say it was the playoff game. When he came in for a couple stretches, he had the sole touchdown in the Bucks game. Which game was that? When he came in and had that touchdown and Drew Brees didn't have a touchdown. Oh, I remember when I don't care. But he did show some solid signs. He showed off his arm ability. And I think that he's a quarterback who Sean Payton can mold into being a good player. I think that he is somebody who can be made into a guy who you can build your franchise around especially with the right coaching. With regards to Taysom Hill, I do respect that he is putting forth that effort to be a full-time quarterback. But if you ask me, the Saints offense work better when he is that Swiss Army knife, when he can come in and kind of take that pressure off of Mike Tom and um, Alvin Kamara. And so because of that, I just have a hard time thinking they're just going to scrap a chunk of their playbook just to have him as the starting quarterback, especially because what we've seen from him as the starting quarterback has not been the best tape. But all right, last piece of NFL news. We're going to show some love to running backs, or at least one who feels he does not get enough love, and that is Broncos running back Melvin Gordon. Uh, To which he said in a recent interview, I just want to be the best back, but I get overlooked a lot, and I am sick of it. So, do you think that we are overlooking Melvin Gordon when we think of the top, let's say, 10 running backs in the league? I say no. Uh... No, I say no because the thing is, has this production shown him as a top ten running back? Mm-hmm. Like he, in my opinion, he is a good back. Like he's not, he's not a scrub. But you can't just like in a in a game like football, stats are the driving factor. Well, only thing is sports speed, mm-hmm. stats are the driving factor, and Melvin Gordon's stats don't put him into that realm. Like is would you put Melvin Gordon in the realm of Derrick Henry? Dalvin Cook, um, Saquon Barkley went healthy, Christian McCaffrey went healthy, um, Ezekiel Elliott went healthy, and his own line is healthy. No, I would put him, like, I would say, in my personal opinion, Melvin Gordon is probably, like, around the top 15, top 20, but definitely not top 10. Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't see him as being that, I think he's a good, um, running back, but in terms of being one of the league's best, I don't really see it. Because, I mean, you can make an argument of, is he the best running back in his division? I would take Josh Jacobs over Melvin Gordon. Hell, there's even an argument for Austin Eckler just because of his versatility. And then Clyde Everett-Hilaire showed some nice things too, whereas with Melvin Gordon, he's kind of just one note. He's a bruising back, but that's really it. But he's not a bruising back like Derrick Henry, who's just running through everybody and just going to town. He's not a bruising back like the other guys that we've seen that have just been that dominant. He is a fine running back, 
but he's not a running back who everybody would just stop what they're doing to see what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's really keeping track of him like we've seen with other backs. And not to say that he's not good, it's just I don't really see him on par as some of the other guys in the league. Because let's be honest, if he was, I don't see him leaving the Chargers. I don't see them being willing to move on from him, but they have done so. And not to say it's correlating a whole bunch of wins, but they did a fine job. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some NBA. Starting with Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week's action? Top three takeaways. Number three, it is weird because the New York Knicks are winning basketball games. And it's weird to see. I'm also, I'm happy for the Knicks. They've had a lot of turmoil and bad times in their franchise. And for them to be in a position that they're in, I think it's dope. Uh, number two, the return of injured stars. We had we had Anthony Davis return. We also had Jaren Jackson Jr. return. And Jaren, they both added sparks to their teams. Anthony Davis, he still had a lot of rest. Like, he didn't play that much. But Jaren added some real spark to the games that he played in so far. And number number one, being honest, this MVP race is starting to look like a toss Mm-hmm. Yeah, no no arguments from there. But speaking of that MVP race, let's give our Mamba players of the week. Uh, out the East for me, I'm going Julius Randle. I mean, you talked about the Knicks, them being able to win games. Well, Julius Randle has been a really big catalyst for that, especially uh, this most recent week of action. I think that he's really finally showing that potential that got him drafted seventh overall in the 2013 draft. I mean, just look at the games he's had, 31 and 10 against the uh, Raptors, dropped the... Um, 40 and 11 against the Hawks in a big game. The team has really just rallied around him and just made him the focal point of their team. And it's really benefiting them because they are currently, if the playoffs are today, they are a top five seed. So I'm going Julius Randle. So for my Eastern Conference, I actually have a code and they're on the same team. I'm going Julius Randle and Derrick Rose because everybody, everybody's know, everybody knows about what Julius Randle is going in. He's the face of their franchise. He's the one that's putting up 30 and 40 points. But a lot of people are sleeping on the fact that Eric Rose is slowly stepped into like a very crucial role for them. Like he comes off the bench. Either, he either can come off the bench or start in whatever role he's in. He can score at least 15 points a game for them. Like the last couple games he's played in, he's had 17 plus games, 17 plus points every game. So I got to go with both of them. Sounds good. All right, now, out the West, for me, it's got to be Steph. I mean, Steph, this whole past week has just been on a tear and really just showing why he is one of the most revolutionary players to step foot in the league. Yes, you can say the Warriors as a team have not been performing that great, but Steph has been balling. Steph has been what Kobe was for the Lakers in the before they got Pau Gasol, but after Shaq left. Putting up crazy amount of points, really being – the team and looking damn good while doing it. So he's got to be my mamba of the West. Yeah, I got to go Steph too because he's doing, like you said, he's doing what Kobe did. But honestly, what he's doing is more resembling of what Allen Iverson did when he led them to the finals where basically he legit had to score 30, 40, 50 points a game just for them to win because the talent around him was so bad. 
and the fact that they're still throwing it and shooting like ridiculous percentages, they gotta be still. No Steph. So, but we will get to Steph in the MVP race a bit later on. Who's our Mamba Rookie of the Week? Unfortunately, because I can't really go anybody else, not because there are not any other rookies, but they are just not doing the same things Anthony Edwards are doing. I got to keep it with Anthony Edwards. But in this next week or two, things could change because we are getting returned from the front runner of the Rookie of the Year race. But for right now, I'm going Ant. So, I will go in, but just to mix it up, I'm going to go with a very best-known rookie. And honestly, you will know, and people in the Memphis will know because he plays for the Grizzlies. I am going to have to go with Xavier Tillman mm-hmm. because in these past couple of games, Jonas Valanciunas was out for a concussion, and he's come up big. His first game as a starter, he had a double-double with, um, if I'm not mistaken, 18 points and 11 rebounds. The following game after that, he had 14 and 6. And he was a very crucial piece to the wins that they had in, the, in their stretch. He also was able to play great defense, which he's known for doing. He's been doing it even since he still put the NBA. So I got to go with it. All right, so let's go ahead, move on. Let's talk about that playoff picture. So out of the East, this is where we currently stand. Number one, Brooklyn Nets. Two, Philadelphia 76ers. Three, Milwaukee Bucks. Four, New York Knicks. Five, Atlanta Hawks. Six, Boston Celtics. Seven, Miami Heat. Eight, Charlotte Hornets. Nine, Indianapolis Pacers. Well, Indiana Pacers. And then 10, the Washington Wizards. So... We got a talking point. You mentioned the Knicks and how how it is nice to see them have success. And I mean, even Braun Braun even said the league is simply better off when the Knicks are winning. But are the Knicks real? Are you taking them seriously as a potential title contender? Oh, no. I think that they are they're a great story that could potentially make it to the second round of the playoffs, depending on the matchup that they face in the first round. But I can't take them as a serious title contender when you have a Brooklyn Nets team that has Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden waiting, trying, waiting, and resting. And you have a Philadelphia 76 team that has Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and a slew of shooters around mm-hmm. Like, no, it's no way, it's no way that I see, honestly, I don't see any team out of the East in the past those two teams, including the Bucks. Because I think the Bucks, they would run, if they ran into Brooklyn, it's too much firepower for the Bucks. Yeah, which I feel that. All right, let's go ahead and look at the West, starting with the first seed, the Utah Jazz. Second, Phoenix Suns. Third, Los Angeles Clippers. Fourth, Denver Nuggets. Fifth, Los Angeles Lakers. Sixth, Dallas Mavericks. Seventh, Portland Trail Blazers. Eighth, Memphis Grizzlies. Ninth, San Antonio Spurs. And tenth, Golden State Warriors. We have a little bit less than a month left of the regular season, and that play-in spot is getting pretty tough. As I said earlier in the show, the Grizzlies are currently leading the Trailblazers, which will be a huge win for them in terms of um, increasing their playoff positioning. But when you think it's all said and done, who do you think the four teams participating in the play-in are? Because I think it's going to end up being – I think Portland's going to get the sixth spot, so I think it's going to end up being – Mavs, Grizzlies, Warriors, and I think the Spurs can hold off on the Pelicans a bit longer to hold on to that, to be at least be able to be in the play-in discussion. 
But all right, so a player who catches a lot of flack around the league, especially when it comes to the playoffs, is Paul George. But with the string of games he's been having this season, uh, it seems like one of his new teammates, DeMarcus Cousins, says that the slander's got to stop. In a quote, he said, we got to stop the PG slander. He's one of the most gifted players in the league. Do you feel like the slander of Paul George is a bit unwarranted in that he deserves more props than he is getting? Currently having a really nice slate of games, back-to-back 33-point games, double-doubles. And then even before that, just been running across 30-point games with ease. Do you think that we should stop slandering Paul George? I think that Paul George slander should stop once he does something in the playoffs. Because the reality of it is, is he does all of these during the regular season, but once he hits the biggest time for him to do it, he doesn't produce. Right. And he's like he was a liability last year, you know, in the bubble. Like he was shooting shots in the side of the backboard. And being completely honest, Boogie is not wrong in being realistic. Paul George is one of the most talented guys in the NBA right now because he's a six. 6'9", 6'10", guy who can handle the ball like a guard, who can shoot like a guard, and he's very fluid, and he can defend. But he has to do stuff in the playoffs because that's when people make their names. It's not like in the regular season. You make your names. Like, every legendary player may mostly has made their names in the playoffs in some way, form, or fashion. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. Anybody can look good in the regular season. I mean, you got 82 games on a normal year. You have plenty of time to be able to look good. But when the games are under pressure, when the game really matters, that really determines your legacy. I mean, case in point, James Harden. He's a tremendous player in the regular season. But that, for the last, well, honestly, throughout much of his career, it has not really translated to the playoffs, which is why he catches a lot of flack. Same things with Ben Simmons. He catches a lot of flack for his playoff performances. So, and for a player like Paul George, who for a time, well, pretty much since he's been in the league, he's been one of those top players for his team. He has not been able to really turn that corner. And it's been frustrating because remember his uh, year in OKC, he looked like a potential MVP candidate. But all that went out the window when the playoffs came and he didn't do anything. So I think that's one of the frustrating things about Paul George. And if he wants to get his legacy solidified, he has to be able to get more consistent when it matters. But all right, one more piece before we get to some mini debates. Uh, Steve Kerr in a recent interview talked about uh, untouchable players and said, how many players are truly untouchable in the NBA? LeBron, Steph, and Giannis. That's about it. Everybody is tradable. So Ethan, even though I definitely don't dispute the three players he listed, I think that there are more players who are should be deemed untouchable. What about you? Do you agree? And who are those players? I definitely agree there's more players that are deemed untouchable. One of them being, honestly, the big three in Brooklyn, I think those guys are untouchable. Yeah, I know that they, James Harden was traded this season, but he forced his way out. But if James Harden were in a situation where he was on, where he was happy and he was playing to his normal standard, he's not going nowhere. He's untouchable. Um, I don't know if I call Kyrie untouchable. I think this season's version of Kyrie is untouchable because it's like he he's been productive. He has been. He really hasn't been injured as much as he has been in the past. Yes, he's had a lot of 
things you said in the media and like taking personal days off and things like that, but I don't know. I wouldn't touch them. Um, Anthony Davis, in my opinion, would be untouchable. Right. Because, like, he's the future of like, this organization once LeBron retires, he stays. Zion is untouchable. I think, is untouchable. I think that Jimmy Butler in Miami is untouchable. Maybe. Yeah, I think Jimmy, Jimmy and Bam are untouchable. I wouldn't trade them. Dirty Dame. I don't. I think he's untouchable. Yeah, it's a lot of guys. I think people just be caught up in like the top names of the whole league and fail to realize that it's like it's it's guys that are very crucial to organizations because it's like the Grizzlies aren't going to trade John Morant. He's right. their future. Right. He's their rising star. Why would they trade him when he's a center to potentially get a guy like who would they trade him for? Right. Who would they trade him for like? Who's as Which young as him, who as high as the ceiling, who can come in and turn the franchise around the way that he has done. Like, I wouldn't trade, and this is no, this is solely just timeline perspective. I wouldn't trade John Moran for a Damian Lillard or a Stephen Curry. Yeah. At the time right now, I think that they're better players than Ja, but it, with the makeup of their team, Ja fits their timeline because as he has seen, the team would have seen and potentially the players around him will because they're all around the same age. Right. So, yeah, I think that when we, like you said, when we think untouchable players, and plus Joel Embiid is another cat, I don't see the 76ers yeah, getting sure. rid of him. So, yeah. I think you really made a good point about, like, we think the top names, but we also have to remember, like, the importance of a player to an organization. Like, even though they may not be considered, like, top five players in the league, also Luka. Luka's not getting and, traded either. And Exactly. So it's like they may not be like the top. When you think of the NBA, they might not be the top names. But for those teams, they are everything. So yeah, I think that I get what Steve Kerr was saying. But yeah, go good luck. Go ahead and try to trade for AD right now if you're the Warriors. Let me know how that conversation goes for you. But all right, let's go ahead and get into some uh, quick mini debates before we make our nightly game predictions. Starting with. Is this the most unpure season of basketball? Uh, Fred Van Vliet uh, recently said in an interview that, I mean, to be honest, this is probably the most unpure year of basketball I've ever been a part of. To be to be honest, this year has been rough with regards to injuries, um, how rushed games are. Teams, case in point, like the Raptors, who can't even play in their home stadium. They're playing in Tampa. So a lot is really different. But would you agree that this is an unpure season? Um, I guess by the term, I guess the term unfair would have to be defined for me. Mm-hmm. But I will, I will say, like, it is the most, it is completely, it's been completely different than any other basketball season in the history of the NBA. If that's what you mean by unfair, then yes, it is. But I think just because of the circumstances of coronavirus and things that they have to do to take precautions, it is. Different and it might be unfair. Like you know, normally people on the people be used to having um fans in the stands and like they're slowly starting to integrate fans into the stands now. But you have to make that precaution to protect the players and the um coaches and fans of that nature. So if he means it's unfair by being different, then yes. But if he means it's unfair by something else, I don't know. In turn, and then I think that if we look at it like that perspective, I would say last year would be the most unpure because 
you you're off for over a month, and then all of a sudden, not every team is able to come back to go into the bubble. So I think that even though this year is definitely complicated, I think that last year, especially regarding the bubble, would be considered the most unpure. If we're looking at it from the perspective of it being different and not the best for players. But I was I think that last year was definitely much more different than this year. Sure you don't have fans in your home stadium, but at least you're in your home stadium, as opposed to everybody being in Florida and not every team being able to participate, which could cause a lot of hoopla there too. But all right, next piece of debate. Colin Coward says the Nets are not built to win championships. And in a recent uh clip from the herd, his Fox Sports show. Um, he said that Brooklyn is not a team that wins championships. I'm not gonna, you know, recount the whole thing, but his main point was they are a pretty team. They look good, but they are not tough. Their players routinely call out their top players routinely call out of games or they're hurt. They lack that toughness that great teams have had in the past. He mentioned the Lakers, he mentioned the Bulls of the 90s, he mentioned the Warriors of the recent generation, LeBron James, players like that who are tough and pretty. And he said, because the Nets are not a tough team, they will not win any championships. Do you agree or disagree with that? Um, I disagree. I don't think the reason that they would potentially not win the championship is because they aren't tough. I think the reason they probably won't win a championship is because they were going to have issues getting chemistry. Like, since the, since the acquisition of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, those three players have only played like seven games to go where they all won the court at the same time. And it's always been like this rotating shuffle of like two of them will play at the same time or one will just solely play by himself. And I think that's the whole thing of it. Like, and the thing is, is like you can't, you can't fault players for sitting out of their injury. Like, you can't say that they're not tough because it's like, you know, it's guys that are set. Like, yes, we know Kobe was an Ironman. He played with all types of injuries. But it's like, you were in a different setting of the NBA. Like, it, this isn't the era of, like, people trying to be tough guys and play through injuries. Like, they would do that in the playoffs, but it's the regular season. Like, people don't play tough out games in the regular season anymore. Especially in the case of Brooklyn, they're the number one seed without their three best players being consistent on the court at the same time. Right. Why would you want to tough it out? So I think that's the ultimate reason is, like, they won't, when it gets down to it, they won't have the chemistry that they need to potentially win a championship. All right, next up, um, before I give, we move on. Yeah, um, I agree with the sense of, I think that, I think that them not having that chemistry is going to be a tough blow. And I mean, like, the fact that you really can't really count on all three of them on the court at the same time will be tough, especially as they go into the uh, playoffs, potentially even the finals. I think that that is going to be a really tough thing to acquire because, sure, you can say, oh, well, KD and Harden played together, but that was almost 10 years ago, the last time that they took the court together as teammates, as spent all that time together. So they're still trying to mess each other, especially because both of those them as players, their roles have changed, their abilities have changed, Kyrie Irving as well. And then still they have questions of depth. So I think that those – I think that more so than their toughness is going to be – is going to cause those problems. 
But all right, next up, um, in a recent interview with Luau Day, he talked about the 2011-2012 season in which he said if Derrick Rose's injury didn't take place, we were on our way to a championship. Now, that was influentially known as the lockout year. Only 66 games. LeBron won MVP. It was the Miami Heat versus the Oklahoma City Thunder in the finals. Do you think that had D. Rose not gotten hurt, the Bulls would have been NBA champions that year? Uh, I don't. And the reason I say this is because, I, if I'm not mistaken, that was year two of the Miami Heat big three. Yeah, it was. And, yeah, and year two, they look completely different than year one. They built their chemistry, they built their rapport with each other, and they also, that was when LeBron fully stepped into their role of, I'm the villain of the NBA. He stopped, he stopped caring about the fact that fans liked him, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to be the guy that you guys hate. I'm going to be that guy that that gets booed, and I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to rip your heart out by winning games. So I don't think that they would have won it that season. Being honest, I do think that if Eric Rose never got hurt, they might have stuck in one one during his time in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would have been necessarily been that good. Phil, I agree with that. I think that kind of what you mentioned, even though the lockout season was really weird overall. I mean. The, fi- the Miami Heat were coming off the finals loss to the Dallas Mavericks. They're getting more chemistry together, like we just mentioned. And even though the Bulls had a hell of a year, I think it went 50-16 and 16 that year, still, like, and yeah, they did. D-Rose's injury did hurt. That was a tough loss. But, I mean, still, I think that – I don't think that they would have got past Miami. I think that Miami still would have won. But they were – a great team. They were number one in the East, so you have to give them credit for that. But still, I don't, yeah, I don't see that happening. But all right, let's move on to a current player, Zion Williamson, who recently, after a game against the New York Knicks, said that besides New Orleans, Madison Square Garden is his favorite place to play. And of course, people are taking that ball and running with it. Matt Barnes, uh, recently on his show, The Jump, said, this is probably the inevitable. I don't see Zion ending his uh, career in New Orleans. Enjoy it while you still have it. So, do you think that this is a way of saying that Zion is inevitably going to the Knicks as soon as he is able to, or are people just reading too much into it? I definitely don't think Zion is going to finish his career with the New Orleans Pelicans unless they make drastic changes to their roster. And to that just organization from a whole from a um, front office and coaching standpoint. Like they hired Steph and Dundee. And it was a it was a a iffy hire. Yeah. Like he hadn't been coaching for a while and a lot of people thought that, you know, maybe he could still run the team, but he hasn't shown the ability to be able to. I think he's too old school for these new school type of NBA players. And uh, honestly, like I said, just the team around Zion, like, they have talent, but is all of their talent going to mix well? Like, you have a guy, Brandon Ingram, who wants to be the top guy, and he's not. It's clearly Zion. Lonzo Ball is a good piece, but I feel like he would be a piece that's going to end up being traded soon. Just given the fact that, you know, 
he has the uptick. He's playing some of the best ball in his career, and it's a lot of teams that can use his services. So I don't necessarily know. And if he does attempt to go to the Knicks, depending on the structure of the Knicks, will it work? Like, if he goes to the, like, let's say, hypothetically saying, if he was able to go to the Knicks right now, how would they look? Because Julius Randle is already Randall, there at the four years. Julius Randle plays the power forward position. Zion plays the power forward position. They're both, Julius Randle, they're both undersized as far as height, but they're big, stocky dudes. Like, how would they work? Would you put Julius Randle at the five and have him play center at six nine and put Zion at power forward? Like, how would it work? I think that people, a lot of times, they look to, they read too much into like saying that people are saying and just not taking it for face value. Like if Zion likes playing in Madison Square Garden, he likes playing in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, a lot of the great players like playing in Madison Square Garden. Kobe, MJ, LeBron. That don't mean that they were just gonna suit up for the Knicks. Yeah, like he could like playing for the in the Garden, but that doesn't mean he likes playing. He wants to play for the organization because we know like this season is an anomaly where they're actually winning. Over the course of like these past, honestly, this past decade or past couple of decades, the Knicks haven't been a very relevant team as far as winning basketball games. Not at all. But yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think that let I'll say the connection between them, him and the Knicks, I think is overblown. But it, we've seen it in just about every player. They get frustrated with their situation. They see that no real progress is being made into being making their team into a contender. Because a player can be as great as they want to be, but if their team isn't helping them win games, it's going to lead to frustration. And not every player is suited to play for the same team forever. So I'm in agreement with you that I don't think it's inevitable that – I won't say it's inevitable that he ends up in New York, but I would not be surprised if we see Zion rocking a different jersey in the next few years. But all right, last piece. Will the real NBA MVP stand up? Because Jokic – was looking like the one. Embiid, he's trying to come back to reclaim his title because before he got healthy, he looked like the MVP. And now we got Steph Curry going crazy. So, as of right now, who is your league MVP? Um, I got around with my guy, Jordan Embiid. And the only reason I'm saying it is because the reason I go with this with Joel is typically they give the MVP award to the guy who has the best record mm-hmm. out of the players. Yes, Nicole Jokic has been doing amazing things. Yes, Steph Curry has been doing amazing things. But Joel B has the best record. Like, he has them fighting for the first seed yeah. in the Eastern Conference. And unless you were, like, on the way I, unless you were to, like, try to look at it from, like, the the Westbrook route when they gave it to him when he had the year of averaging a triple double, then in my personal opinion, it has to go to Joel Embiid. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you too. I know we talked about it a bit um, when Embiid got back about if we felt like he'd be able to come and reclaim MVP. And even though Jokic is doing amazing things, I'm in, I would also go with um, I would definitely also go. With Joel Embiid, I mean, just it's unfortunate because when you look at MVP, it's more so about numbers as opposed to the true value to a team. Because we're talking who's the most valuable to their team. I, I would go, yeah, I'll go Steph. But if we're talking numbers and just their impact and like where their team is sitting, it would be Joel. 
And this isn't to say anything, you know, against Jokic or Steph, but I mean, record, like you said, the record matters. And the, right now, the record for the 76ers is great. I mean, pretty much it's a battle back and forth between them and the Nets as to who's number one in the Eastern Conference. And he, mind you, it looks even better at what Joel's doing because the Nets have the new big three. And so because of that, I would also go Joel Embiid as MVP, especially because even though it was clear like at first when he got back, he had a little bit of rust, he's still playing on a high level. He's still getting going back to playing the way he was before his injury, and he's looking like one of the best players in the league this year. So I would also go Joel Embiid. But all right, let's finish up, uh, gives our predictions for tonight, uh, April 25th. Uh, so as a couple games have already been in progress, uh, the Boston Celtics lost to the Hornets 125-104. The Nets beat Suns 128-119. Right now, the Grizzlies are leading the Trailblazers 105-94 with 543 left in the fourth. But let's talk about the games that are still yet to happen. The Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Washington Wizards. I got Wizards. I got Wizards. Milwaukee Bucks versus the Atlanta Hawks. I got Bucks, especially since Trey Young is still going to be out for the foreseeable future. I got Bucks. Sacramento Kings versus the Golden State Warriors. I got Warriors. I got Warriors. All right, Indiana Pacers versus the Orlando Magic. I got Pacers. I got yeah, I got Pacers. All right, and that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, be sure to check out the export.net, RP, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Also, football fans, particularly our draft fans, my final mock draft will be coming out sometime this week, either Wednesday or Thursday morning. It really just depends on how much I want to get done. I might wait a couple days to see if any more trades take place. But be on the lookout for that. Ethan, you got anything else you'd like to add before we close out this show? Go Grizz. Uh, Joel B is the real MVP. And uh, I'm looking forward to the draft. All right, so... Titans on the clock, 22nd overall pick. Who do you want? I want an edge rusher. I don't, whichever is the best edge rusher that's available, that's what I want. Either that or or corner. Okay. I understand that both two positions of need. Currently, as of right now, I have my pick for the Titans, which I think makes a lot of sense. But we shall see. Everybody will see you in the next few days. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.